Well, we're continuing in our study of Luke, and I'm jumping around a bit here, but today it's particularly appropriate, obviously, since we're coming to the Lord's table, to read Luke's account of the institution of the Lord's Supper. And we will begin reading at verse 1 of chapter 22 in Luke's Gospel. Hear now God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished, prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table." For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest." and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you as my Father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy word to us this morning. Well, in the passage before us, Jesus is celebrating the Passover with his disciples for the final time. And I've given you an outline there uh, of the the Passover and the major uh, events that occur during that Passover meal. That will come into play when we see the different cups that uh, Jesus gives out particularly. Uh, The first Passover, of course, occurred the night before uh, uh, before God's people were rescued from slavery in Egypt. 
God had instructed Moses to tell the people to take a lamb without blemish, sacrifice it at twilight, and spread the blood on the doorposts of their houses in which they ate the lamb with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They were to eat it fully dressed and ready to travel and not leave any leftovers. Now that night the Lord came in judgment and struck all the firstborn in Egypt, but he passed over those houses where he saw the blood on the doors. The Lord then made this meal a yearly obligation for his people. So Jesus and the disciples are fulfilling their obligations here as Jews. But during this, Jesus institutes a new meal, what we now call the Lord's Supper, of course. And what we have before us in this passage is a transition to a new era, a new epic, a new covenant, as Jesus states. So it's very, very important what's going on here. Now in the Passover, the participants remembered the past deliverance from slavery in Egypt that God enacted through Moses. But in the Lord's Supper, we remember the deliverance from our slavery to sin and death that was enacted by our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is why Jesus says in verse 15, I have earnestly desired to eat the Passover with you before I suffer. Now that phrase, earnestly desired, is a what they call a Hebraism. He, he repeats a word twice. Uh, he repeats a, a noun and the verb, and it's the, the Greek word epithumia, which is actually the word for lust or desire. It's the word for desire with an over. So over desire. He, what Jesus is saying is he's really just longed to come to this moment. He has longed and, and been eager to come to this time where he is about to lay down his life for his people. And he's pointing to that in the supper. The phrase there points to the great sacrifice of Christ who is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So as we move from remembering, or as they did, they moved from remembering the deliverance in Egypt to the deliverance that Christ gives. We want to remember ourselves, Jesus Christ today. And I want to highlight just a few things from the text here that shows us something of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Well, first we begin backing up to the beginning of chapter 22. We see... Uh, Judas and the religious leaders in Jerusalem uh, planning to kill Jesus. They're making their plans, they're plotting and scheming, and they want to put him to death. Uh, and they feared the people, it says there in verse 2. And uh, Judas becomes the tool of Satan, and he makes a deal with the chief priests and the officers to betray Jesus to them. And they're, they're being clandestine about this. They want to find a time when there's not as many people around. And, of course, that would be the perfect time would be during the Passover because everyone would be in their homes eating the meal at the specified time. And so they would like to nab Jesus while nobody's around. And then they could quietly deal with him in the way that they were hoping to deal with him, i.e., put him to death. 
But Jesus, his plan is bigger than their plan. Jesus' plan is bigger than Satan's plan. In fact, Satan is actually a dupe. And Jesus uses those schemes to lay down his life for his people. It's very interesting. When Jesus says, we want to go and, uh, and uh, celebrate the Passover, he tells them exactly what to do. He, he tells the, his disciples, he sends them into town and we don't know if this was supernatural knowledge, that he knew that there was a man walking with a pot and, and that they would encounter him and, and they would follow him. Or maybe it was a prearranged deal, that that was kind of a, uh, a signal because it wasn't normal for men to be carrying water pots. They, they tend to carry water skins. And so this was a, a signal to the disciples to know which house they would go to so Judas wouldn't find out. And they, Jesus would ensure to be able to eat this meal with him. That's some speculation. He might have just known it because he's God. And he has this supernatural knowledge. But either way, Jesus' plan to lay down his life for his people trumps any other plans that evil brings against him. And that's something for us to remember always in every situation. Whenever we're feeling like we're under attack from Satan or just going through difficult circumstances... God has a plan. It goes back to what I was saying before we started the worship service. God has a plan for all of history. Uh, Christ is the center of that. And it, it is going to a, a definite place, the new heavens and new earth. We know the future and what it holds. We don't know everything that's going to happen specifically for us in that pilgrimage to the end. But we know if we're his people, that's where we're headed. And nothing can separate us from his love, as Paul says in Romans. And so even when we go through difficulties and trials, we know God's plan trumps every other plan. Any, any, any power or principality that comes against us, we are overcomers in Christ. And that's a comforting thought and something for us to remember as we see Jesus. He's in control of the situation, even as Judas is there eating the supper with him. And Satan has already entered him. And, and Jesus knows what Judas is going to do. He's sitting there with his betrayer. And yet he's in control of the situation the whole time. So the plans, we see the schemes happening. And there's not just human plans going on, but these are supernatural, uh, spiritual things, spiritual uh, plans that are happening here. Uh, that are, it's not apparent to everyone who's looking and involved in it. Well, the, the supper begins, and verse 17 tells us that Jesus took a cup. And if you look at your outline there, you'll see that there are four different cups uh, that, are, that are used in the supper. And they signify different things. I'll mention that in a moment. But you have the main elements that begins with a prayer of thanksgiving by the head of the house, and then they drank the first cup of wine. That's probably one of these first two cups is what he's referring to here in verse 17. Then you ate the bitter herbs as a reminder of the bitter slavery in Egypt, and then uh, a son usually would inquire, why is this night distinguished from all other nights? And the father's appropriate reply either narrated or read. So it's kind of a catechism question if you're Presbyterian, you know, they would enact and re, uh, reenact or read the Exodus account. 
And then you had the singing of the first part of the Hallel. The Hallel are Psalms 113, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. And they're called Hallel Psalms because they all start with Hallel. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And so those psalms were used in the supper. And that's why we, we sang Psalm 117, and we're going to sing Psalm 118 at the end today. So you sang those psalms and washed the hands, and then you had the second cup. Possibly verse 17 is that one as well. Could, could it be either one of those? Then you ate the lamb with the unleavened bread, and the lamb was eaten in commemoration of what the ancestors had been commanded to do on the night when the Lord smote all the firstborn of Egypt and delivered his people. And the unleavened bread was in commemoration of the bread of haste eaten by the ancestors. And then the meal would go on, each eating as much as he liked, but always the last of the lamb. They had to finish that completely. And then they had the third cup. Then they sang the last part of the Hallel. And then they had the fourth cup. And probably the third or the fourth cup is when Jesus institutes that part of the Lord's Supper. So here at verse 17 and 18, Jesus takes a cup, it's one of the first two cups, before he enacts the Lord's Supper. And he says, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he's about to do something, of course, before the night is over uh, and before tomorrow is over. Uh, He's about to do something that will usher in his kingdom in a new way uh, like never before. And so he is not just saying that this is the last time we're ever going to eat together uh, because he is going to rise from the dead and continue to have meals with them for some time. But this is the last Passover meal that he's going to have with them and it's, uh, it's the, because it's a change now. He's never going to eat another Passover meal. It's going to be all about him from now on going until we get to that day when the kingdom fully comes at the marriage supper of the Lamb, when we will be with Jesus forever. So he takes the cup and he divides it amongst them. And then we have the giving of the bread. Now notice this is the feast of unleavened bread. That's what it's referred to here in verse 1 and so forth. The first Passover meal, of course, contained unleavened bread. The the Israelites were in such a haste to leave that they did not have time to use yeast, which would make the bread rise. You have to wait on the bread to rise. Thus, unleavened bread came to represent the affliction and trials of the people in Egypt in the wilderness. It was customary for the presider at Passover to pass out the bread, saying, This is the bread of our affliction. And that's what they would have said at the Passover meal. But you'll notice that Jesus does not say that. He does not say, this is the bread of our affliction. Rather, when he passes out the bread, he says, this is my body. Or, in other words, what he might be saying is, this is the bread of my affliction. This is the bread of my affliction. This is my body given for you, broken. The bread now represents his broken body for sinners such as I. He is afflicted so that we will never have to be eternally afflicted. So then you have the third or the fourth cup, as I mentioned before. As I said uh, earlier, the first Passover meal contained four cups of wine which represented the four promises of blessing in Exodus 6. I will deliver 
Uh, These promises were for salvation from slavery, for fellowship and relationship with God, and for life in the new land. The Lord's Supper also contains a cup of blessing. Jesus shed blood, and death is now the wine. The vehicle for all these blessings. This is my blood of the covenant. He himself took the cup of God's justice so we could have the cup of God's blessing. You remember when he goes to Gethsemane and he says, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. He's not talking about a cup or even that cup that he's using in the Lord's Supper. He's talking about the cup of God's wrath that he's gonna, that's going to be poured out upon him, that he's going to have to drink to the dregs on behalf of his people. So he took the cup of God's justice so we could have this cup of God's blessing. Now he mentions the new covenant. That's prophesied in Jeremiah 31. If you're using the Pew Bible, flip over to page 660, Jeremiah 31, 31, where Jeremiah prophesies this new covenant. Jeremiah 31, 31. Jeremiah prophesies, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And that day is here in Luke 22. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Isn't that wonderful? And of course, uh, part of that fulfillment is the Holy Spirit being poured out at Pentecost that we have the, the indwelling of Christ through, the, through his Holy Spirit. And uh, he teaches us and leads us into the truth, the truth of God's word. So Jesus says, this is the blood of the new covenant. When a covenant was made, uh, it had to be made by the shedding of blood, usually an animal's blood in the Old Testament. But here it's Jesus' blood that shed and enacts this new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. Now, something that's missing here in this Passover meal, uh, it's probably not, it's not missing, it's just not mentioned or highlighted. You know, what is the feature, the primary feature of the Passover? I mean, the, the big star of the show is the lamb, right? The lamb without blemish that was, that was like a pet uh, in, the, in the homes of the Jews, and they would keep it for a while, and then they would have to Uh, sacrifice it, slaughter it, and consume it. And so the lamb is not really mentioned here at all. You hear Jesus say, prepare the Passover, and that's certainly what they prepared with the herbs and and the other uh, things that were used in the meal. But there's no lamb here that is mentioned. And I believe that is because Jesus is that ultimate Passover lamb. He is the lamb who was slain, who takes away the sin of the world. This lamb that they were eating uh, disappeared and 
He is, he is not highlighted here because it's all about Jesus. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the main course, if you will. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood of the new covenant that's poured out for you. Now, after sending many plagues to Egypt to loosen their oppressive grip on Israel, God finally sends the ultimate plague. He sends the angel of death into Egypt, which was the sword of divine justice unsheathed. In every home in Egypt that night, there was death due to the wrath of justice. In every home, there would either be a dead child or a dead lamb, one or the other. The only way to escape was to put your faith in God's sacrificial provision. Namely, you had to slay a lamb and put the blood on the doors as a sign of your faith in God's merciful provision. Any Israelite family who failed to do this were tragically and bitterly disappointed. Now, we are still subject to the angel of death. The original lamb saved each home from judgment. This means that we are under judgment unless we take shelter under the blood of the Lamb, Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God. Just as the Passover Lamb had to be without blemish, so Jesus was a perfect, sinless person. He did not die to pay for anything of his own. He was the perfect substitutionary sacrifice for us. Now, the first Passover meal was held on the night before a great deliverance, right? a deliverance from physical slavery. Well, the Lord's Supper was held on the night before an even greater deliverance, salvation from sin and death itself through Christ, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So we have this old meal, the Passover meal, and then Jesus institutes a new meal, the Lord's Supper, but he also points to a future meal. And that future meal, of course, is the fulfillment of what those two meals are all about when we reach the new heavens and new earth. He says, as I mentioned before in verse 18, I tell you from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So he's looking forward to that day when the kingdom comes in its fullness, the new heavens and new earth, the marriage supper of the Lamb, where we will all be with Jesus in close fellowship. And I've mentioned this before, but you know we eat out and... Uh, you know, it's no big deal to, to go and, and uh, have a meal and we're sitting in a place with all kinds of people in a restaurant and nobody knows uh, one another and, and we don't think much about it. And uh, we may have meals with people and, and it not be such a big deal. But in those days, eating with someone was a sign of intense, close fellowship. When you ate with someone, it was significant. That's why Jesus was often criticized for eating with sinners because you don't fraternize with those people if you are a, a godly person. So it was significant. So when Jesus says that he's going to eat with us and drink with us, it's significant. He's drawing us into a deep uh, fellowship with him, a relationship, a personal relationship that we should value highly. So that's what this table is. It's communion. That's why we call it communion, because we're communing with the Lord. We are fellowshipping with him and one another as the, as the body of Christ. So, if you stopped an Israelite in those days and, and said, uh, who are you and, and what's happening here as they participate in this Passover, they would say, I was a slave 
under a sentence of death, but I took shelter under the blood of the Lamb and escaped that bondage. And now God lives in our midst and we are following him to the promised land. Well, that's exactly what we as Christians say today. What are we doing here? Well, we were enslaved to sin. We were under the guilt and the bondage of sin. And we were under the sentence of death and judgment. But we take shelter under the blood of the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world and we escape that bondage through his great sacrifice. And now God lives in our midst and we are following him to the new heavens, the new earth, that promised land that all his people have been looking forward to. And I pray that all of us here today are looking forward to that promised land and are resting and trusting in the blood of the Lamb to take away our sins. That's what this meal points us to today. And may the Lord give us a deeper faith as we come to the Lord's table. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given uh, this word to us. We know it is inspired and without error and, and is infallible in all that it teaches. And Lord, we pray that you would write its truth upon our hearts. We pray that we would be freshly impressed by the great love with which you have loved us. And Lord, fill our hearts today, even as we come to your table. We pray that we would know true fellowship with you in our spirits. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.